Right, you can open your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verse 18. And as I mentioned during the announcements, I wanted to say a thing or two about the anniversary conference we just had, but the, the problem is choosing what not to say. There's so many things I want to say about it. That conference was special on many levels, not just the preaching that we heard. Many of you testified on Wednesday evening as to how special it was and what you learned, and I hope it stuck with you. I trust that it will. Uh, the temptation, though, is to, is to look back and, and keep looking back because it was such a pleasant memory. Never has our church had that nice of a meeting, just all around. Right? God, God has shown up. God has worked in our church many, many times, but that was something special. And there's no getting that back, right? You, no matter how much you look back to it, if you say, let's duplicate it, well, then we're going backwards, Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth into those things which are before. We press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So it's not that we forget what we learned, what we experienced, what we felt, but that prompts us, that provokes us to move forward still, to build on what we learn, what we heard. Just recently when I was on furlough this last time, I took my family to a missions conference. Most of the time, my wife and daughter did not travel with me. I wanted to give Christina especially as much grandma time as possible. But this particular church, we, we always, we have good friends there. We've known them for more than 20 years. We went to their missions conference. I've never been in a meeting like that one. To this day, I've never seen its equal by the time we left, our 13-year-old daughter was in tears because she did not want that meeting to end. So the day we were scheduled to drive off, I drove to the pastor's office at the church. I said, Brother Ralph, I've got a problem. The meeting was too good. And now my daughter is in tears and she doesn't want it to end. I said, and I was saying it tongue-in-cheek, you know, kind of, kind of kidding around. But he had a very profound answer for me. He said, brother, you know, in the Old Testament, the Jews were commanded three times in the year, all the men had to converge in Jerusalem for a special feast. Three times every year. It was always a special time. Passover, Feast of Weeks, Tabernacles, all, it was an eight-day meeting. It was a big deal. He said, you know what they had to do after the meeting was over? After the feast days had ended, you know what you do? Go back to work. You just carry on. You, you, you use the encouragement of that special time. That's what it was meant to do. You set up that, what we get the term holiday, holy day. You set, up, you set aside these special days to remind yourself of what God has done, to refocus your attention, but then you move on. That's what the Jews had to do. After the feast was over, you go home, you go back to the fields, and you take home a little bit of what you learned. So as I was praying about the sermon this week, I was very, very much tempted to almost review with you everything we had learned, and let's just go through it again because it was so good. Let's make sure we hang on to every little point. But then the Lord began to work on me. I said, you know, it's just time to, let, let's keep moving. Let's keep going. So that's why we're back in the book of Luke this morning. 
I am so, my heart is still yearning to see God do more. And that's, what, that's how he can do it is if we keep pressing forward. So Luke chapter 9 and verse number 18. Let's read together down to verse 22 and then we'll pray. I'm preaching to you this morning a sermon entitled, Growing in Knowing. Growing in Knowing and specifically growing in knowing Christ. Verse 18, and it came to pass as he was alone praying, his disciples were with him. And he asked them, saying, Whom say the people that I am? They answering said, John the Baptist. But some say Elias. Others say that one of the old prophets is risen again. He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Peter answering said, The Christ of God. And he straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. So with that in mind, let's all bow our heads together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning, the privilege to be here to sing once again, to worship together as a group, to talk about you, to learn about you. Father, help us to put aside what's going on around us, the busyness of our lives. We want to focus in, learn something about you from this passage. Please speak to our hearts. We've we've so enjoyed how you've recently done that, but Lord, we need something fresh for today. Please use me simply as a vessel. Give us all ears to hear. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This is a pivotal point in Jesus' ministry. As you can see in verse 18, he was alone praying. The story just before this, he had fed the 5,000, and afterwards, he goes out and has a time of prayer. And you'll often see when Jesus breaks away and spends an elongated time in prayer, he comes back with some pivotal, important decision. And this is one of those times. This is a unique time in his ministry because it's right here that the Father has now told him, you are allowed to reveal the ultimate plan of you dying He had not mentioned that up until this time. This was the first time Jesus had publicly explained in clear language, I am going to die. Now, knowing that his public ministry, which by the way was going very well. I mean, he had just fed 5,000 families. His popularity was growing exponentially. By the world standards, you would look at that and think, anytime now he's going to take over this nation. And by the way, that is exactly what the chief rulers and Pharisees thought would happen. So that was the common opinion. But Jesus knew the will of God was not for him to rise in popularity and take over that way. God had a different plan for that. It was not time for Jesus to experience great prosperity and wealth and popularity. Rather, the exact opposite. It was time for him now to begin his slow march to the cross. But then the thought comes up, how do I break this to these guys that have come to love me? How do I break it to these guys, these 12, that have been moving about with me? They have been sent out on ministry trips. They've been out preaching. How do I break it to them? How do I properly prepare them for this next big step, not only in my life, but especially in their life? And the best way to prepare somebody for a big change of life, listen to this, and this is true of you, the the best way to prepare you for that next big thing that's going to happen, you need to know Christ better. You need to know Christ 
better. I don't care if that next big thing is graduating from high school, university, getting a job, starting a family, saying goodbye to loved ones at a funeral, whatever the big step is, the best way to prepare for it is to know Christ better. Because in the life of Christ, in the teachings of Christ, in the person of Christ, in in His nature, we learn how to deal with every stage of life. Every single thing in life. You will always end up doing it right if you're following His example. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. That covers every part of life. So Jesus, what can we do? What does Jesus plan to do to better prepare His His disciples, they have already seen him change water to wine. They saw him cleanse the temple. You remember that? He made his own whip and ran the people out. He took the house of God seriously. They heard him speaking like no other man. Never man spake like this man. They heard those lessons. They saw him feed the multitude. They saw him calm the waves. They saw him do countless miracles, raising the dead, cleansing the leper, casting out. They have seen him do so much, and yet... They're just getting started. They know, listen to this, what I've just given you, bare minimum. They they don't even know. They couldn't have possibly seen what Jesus is about to reveal to them. They never would have guessed this. How many times in your life have you thought, okay, I'm walking with God, I'm learning about God, I've I've heard these stories, and then God does something in your life, you go, I didn't know that, wasn't ready for that. That's a new one. You know, that never stops. That never stops. It should never stop. You should always be growing in knowing Christ. So a few things we want to talk about this morning. In verse number 18, it came to pass. He prayed. Then he asked his disciples this, Whom say the people that I am? Now, this is not to say that Jesus is truly concerned about public opinion in the sense that, oh, if they don't like me, I will change. You understand that. You know that. He is bringing up the conversation because he's going, to, he's going to show the difference between what the world thinks about Jesus and what the disciples think about Jesus. I hope this morning that you know Jesus deeper and more intimately than the average person in the world. Whom do people say that I am? Now, point number one, the public, as you're going to see, the public is guessing. The public is guessing. To to guess means to form an opinion from little to no evidence, right? Guessing in and of itself is not sinful. Sometimes you just don't have all the information. But what you can see in their answer, they are guessing. And with any type of guessing, you can come close. Sometimes you can be far off. Haven't you ever played that game? Cold, cold, getting warmer, getting warmer, hot, hot, hot. So some of these guesses are way off. But then some of them not so bad. Verse 19, they said John the Baptist. We recently studied where that guess, how that guess affected him already. This mainly, this was Herod's thing. Now other people also thought that might be true. But Herod, because of that guilty conscience, thought this must be John the Baptist come back from the dead. But some said Elijah. That wasn't actually a bad guess. Right? That's a fair guess because prophetically speaking, Elijah was going to come and reform the nation and get them ready for the Messiah. So I could see if you are an innocent bystander just from a distance looking at the ministry of Christ, you might think, well, the, the, the nation is experience, experiencing a reformation. So perhaps he's Elijah. 
Then others say one of the old prophets is risen again. In the other Gospels, some say Jeremiah, and you know, they list off a few other guys. If you go back and read the prophets, and you read the book of Jeremiah, and you find the, the hard stance these men had to take. They butted heads strongly with the religious leadership of their day. They, they had, the Bible says that God gave Ezekiel a hard forehead, an adamant forehead. Why? Because he's just buttoned heads the whole time with those religious leaders and false prophets. You can go back and read those prophets. What you're reading about is a small snippet, an example, if you will, a foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus was so similar to these prophets in the stance he was taking, some thought, well, maybe he's a, almost a reincarnated version of one of those men to some extent. Now, those are just guesses. There was no authority for proving any of that. That's just what people thought. Yesterday, I was on the street, and I handed a tract to a young man and started a conversation about the Lord. And I asked him, as I often do when I start a conversation, I showed him my Bible. I, had a, I have a smaller Bible that I carry with me for soul winning. I said, uh, sir, do you believe the Bible? And things were going really well. And then he was about to say yes, and then he caught himself. He went, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I said, well, why, why that answer? He said, I saw something on Facebook the other day. There was a post saying that this chapter and that chapter of the Bible uh, didn't line up properly, and he wasn't able to explain what it was exactly that he saw. He just said that, you know, this Facebook thing seemed to say that the Bible was not a reliable book. How is it that we're learning from Facebook what to believe about Jesus Christ? That is not a reliable source. The public is guessing. And Facebook might even be a step below the public. <laughs> you don't want to get your doctrine from Facebook. You don't want to get your Sunday sermons from TikTok. Amen. That should not be the source of our theological learning. How many times have I asked somebody, are you saved? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ personally? And the answer is this. Well, my uncle's a dumini. Well, that's like asking, how tall, how tall are you? 79 kgs. <laughs> I didn't ask that. <laughs> You're not even answering my question. Are you saved? Well, my uncle's a dumini. Well, your uncle's not here, and if he was, I'd have to ask him the same question, and being a dumini has nothing to do with it. Whenever they answer me like that, I always take a moment to think, did I ask the right question? Did I say that wrong? Is it, a, is, it a, is it a language barrier? Are you saved? Well, my uncle's a dumini. Okay. Are you saved? Well, my mom's a big Christian. Okay. I, I'm still waiting for that verse. You guys got to show me that verse somewhere in the Bible that defines a big Christian. What is that? Does, does he have to be over 100 kgs? What, what is a big Christian? I don't know what that means, but my mom's a big Christian. Oh, okay, well, that's your mom. Now, what they mean is this, is I know about Jesus. That's what they're trying to say. Every time, that's what they're trying to say. I know about Jesus. I have had exposure to Jesus. In what way? My uncle. Somehow, my uncle has rubbed off on me. Somehow, my mom has influenced me. Okay, I'm not saying that your uncle or your mom is necessarily wrong. But just because you know Jesus through them, 
that doesn't mean that uncle and mom had it right. Perhaps they have their version of Jesus. You need to know personally about the Lord Jesus Christ and not just trust what the public, even your public, your little sphere of influence has told you about Him. You know what this public was doing? They were relying on what he said about what she said about what he said about what she said and I heard it and my uncle said and my mom said and I heard it from... How do you know they're right? Interestingly enough, yesterday, in the same street, I finished the conversation with that young man, went very well. Eventually, two guys rolled up and that loud music in their car, you know that kind that shakes the windows when they roll up? I mean, that, that stereo was thumping so hard, my eardrums were about to burst. They hop out, I finished a conversation with a young lady, and I walked, they were sitting on a, on a bench, and they had their gold chains on, you know, they looked like gangsters. I gave them tracks, and they were actually very, very kind and polite gentlemen, and you know, both of them smoking cigarettes, that kind of thing. We started up a conversation, I don't care about that, let's talk about the Lord, we'll get to cigarettes some other day. Let's talk about Jesus for a while. I said, gentlemen, I hand them a tract that says, feeling lost. I said, do you understand that question? Do you know what it means to feel lost? And they said, yeah, we know exactly what that means. They said, 30 minutes ago, we were talking about this exact thing. I said, were you? He said, yeah, we're trying to figure out, whenever I say I'm fine, how do I know that I'm fine? That's deep. I can see some of you like, hmm, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think, therefore, I, you know, one of those kind of moments. And, and he said, in relation to this subject, if I say, do you know Christ? Are you right with God? Are you walking with God? No, I'm fine. How do you know you're fine? What a great, what a great question. How can you qualify what fine is? I showed him the verse where Jesus said, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my sayings hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him at the last day. I said, gentlemen, Jesus, he told us what the final authority is. It is what he said. So we can take our feelings, our opinions, our thoughts about him, our thoughts about each other, and judge it according to a faithful standard. We have a final authority. It is what Jesus has said. We don't want to be trusting social media and the opinion of the public to tell us about who Jesus is or how our relationship to him works. We want to get that directly from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. As in preparation for this message, I looked it up and I was a little scared by this. You younger folks might want to really listen in. And some of you older folks that think you're younger folks might want to hear this. The average human being on the planet today spends two and a half hours per day on social media. That scared me. I know. I know there's a healthy way to use it to keep in touch. I know that. But two and a half hours a day, it has to affect you somehow. It is going to shape your thinking somehow. So can I just offer this? Let's, let's give you a little bit of time, social media, to keep in touch, okay? Okay. So, but, but what if instead of two and a half hours, let's just make it two so you have 30 minutes to just catch up with people. What if you spent the other two hours every day reading the Bible and not trusting public opinion and, and the guessing of the public, but trusted rather the, uh, the, the final authority of God to get your understanding of who Jesus is? How much of an, and I use this term loosely for lack of a better word, how much of an expert would you be? in knowing about Christ if you spent two hours a day 
rather than reading about what somebody else cooked for dinner two weeks ago, (laughs) reading about your Savior. What a difference that would make. In chapter 9, another thing I think we should see, the public is guessing, but verse 20, he said unto them, but whom say ye that I am? Peter answering said, the Christ of God. So the public is guessing. The apostles are concluding. They are concluding. Now here's the difference in this. A guess, you have little to no evidence. The apostles, on the other hand, have a lot of evidence. They have been walking with Jesus for a little more than two years by this point. I've mentioned to you earlier, they've seen the miracles, they've heard the teaching, the preaching. They have a lot of evidence. But I'm going to take you one step further in this. You might remember this story from the Gospel of Matthew when Jesus asked this. It's the same passage. We get a little extra information. Peter there as well, it mentions that he said, you're the Christ of God, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says to Peter, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Peter did not come to this conclusion because so-and-so said from so-and-so, said from so-and-so. It wasn't public opinion. These were reliable sources that the Father in heaven had organized and orchestrated to lead Peter to the truth, watch this, both externally and internally. I've actually, in debates, had this challenge come up. People have claimed this is a contradiction in the Bible. They say that when Peter came to know Jesus as the Christ, that is to say he is the Messiah, In Matthew chapter 16, it says the Father revealed it. But in in John chapter 1, we read that Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, brought Peter to Jesus and said, we have found the Messiah, and then introduced him to Jesus. So the contradiction supposedly is who revealed to Peter that Jesus was the Christ? Was it Andrew or was it the Father? And the answer is yes. Both did. Both did. Do you see what God does? God, he had Andrew walking a path with John the Baptist. Andrew was one of John's disciples. Then John one day baptizes Jesus. The Holy Ghost comes down. The Father speaks from heaven. That's pretty authoritative. And then John starts teaching his disciples, I have found the Christ. Jesus walks by one day. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And John then instructs his disciples to start following the Messiah. Andrew, now convinced of this truth. Why? Because the Father had organized all these reliable sources to lead him to the truth. Says, Peter, come and see. You got to check this out. We've been waiting for so long for the Messiah. Here he is. The Bible does not tell us that Peter, on that day, immediately understood everything about Jesus. It took some time. Brother Welder gave us a sermon about Peter launching out into the deep. Remember that? It it came in stages. It came to him little by little. And such is the case for most of us in the room. Very few of us have no knowledge of Christ. And then, boom, in one moment, now we know everything we need to know. You know, it comes little by little. God sends somebody your way, a reliable source that will line up with the final authority and eventually it's not just externally. It's not just that the evidence makes sense, but something inside. God, the Holy Ghost inside of you is saying, that's my son. There he is. That's the truth. And you'll have that bearing witness inside. 
These apostles, they got their information about Jesus as the Christ from reliable sources. John the Baptist, the scriptures, the Father speaking from heaven, and from Jesus' own mouth. So this is a conclusion from a lot of evidence. What do we learn from this? If you want to know about Jesus, go to a trusted source. Not public opinion, not social media. We have the writings of the men that walked with the man. Now think about how powerful that is. These men walked arm in arm with Jesus for three and a half years. Uh, John even said if we were to write down everything he did, the books could not con- uh, the world couldn't contain the books that should be written, right? They had so much to say. I want to know every little thing I can about Jesus. I'm going to go straight to the closest source of information I have. I'm going to delve into as deeply as possible what the apostles have written. Since the first day of the church, they've had their Bibles open. You can read it in Acts chapter 1. Peter had his Bible open, learning about Christ and how to operate in this New Testament. Be sure, folks, be sure that you have a biblical version of Jesus that you're worshiping, that you pray to, that you read about, that you know about. Make sure it's a biblical version. And here's why I say this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul said, somebody might come preaching another Jesus. You want to make sure you have a biblical Jesus. When somebody says, who do you think Jesus is? I want to be able to give a biblical response to that question. I don't want to say, well, I think he is, or I feel that he is, or my uncle, or my mom, or my booty, or my sissy said. No, no. The Bible has said, this is who Jesus is. We don't need another Jesus. I remember years ago when I was about eight, I think, seven or eight years old, I was raised in a Catholic church, and we had just finished the Mass, and we were outside, as any church, any gathering you would expect, a car park filled with people, and uh, my dad, back in the day, you know, everybody wore a suit to church, everybody, even me at eight years old, and, and I, my dad that day had worn a gray suit, and I'm running around in the parking lot, much like the kids in our church do, you know, having a good time, and then I knew it was time to go, but I needed to find my dad. Well, I saw a gentleman standing on the sidewalk. He was, you know, just chatting with some other people, wearing a gray suit, had the same color boots, dark colored hair. I thought, there's my dad. Here this chubby little boy runs up, and I grab on that man's suit coat, and I start tugging, tugging, and dad, 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 and he turns around, it's not my dad. <laughs> and when he turned and looked at me, he was just as surprised as I was. I, you know, it's one of those scary moments, I'm a father, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> Who's calling me dad? That's a nervous thing. You know, now we know that man. <laughs> that man had a guilty conscience, but he looked down. He... No, okay, I, I was embarrassed. You get it, right? As an adult, okay, sometimes we mistake somebody for someone else. Okay, I mean, it's, it's, it's a little awkward, but we push through it. When you're eight, it's very mortifying. Daddy, 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 not daddy. Terrifying. Now, now I'll tell you, it was, it was embarrassing but my, my embarrassment immediately turned to fear. Can you understand why? Because I'm embarrassed that I got the wrong dad. But this means I don't know where my dad is really at. You see how as an eight-year-old, I'm embarrassed and now I'm panicked. Oh my goodness. I thought I knew who my dad was. <gasps> Come to find out, that was another dad. You know how scary it can be? 
your whole life, you grow up under the assumption, the preconceived notion, Jesus is this, 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 and this. And then one day, you start tugging on his garment. God, I need you. God, I want to know you. And he turns around and reveals himself to you. And (gasps) you say, wait a minute. That's not the Jesus I grew up with. That's not the one I've been hearing about. That can be an embarrassing moment, but quickly turns to fear. I don't know God. I don't know the true biblical Jesus. This brings us to the next part of our story, Luke chapter 9 and verse 21. And he straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing. Don't tell anyone that I'm the Messiah. Doesn't that sound strange? Now, this is familiar by this point. We have heard Jesus say similar things. Remember when he cleansed the leper, don't tell anyone that I did it. And a few other times when he did a miracle, he would tell them, don't say anything. The purpose was this. God had a plan for him in that area. And if they start advertising that he's doing something, he is going to get overrun with request and he won't be able to fulfill the ministry meant for that time in that place. So shh, don't say anything. Not yet. And, and what's happening here is the same thing, but on a grander scale. Jesus had already sent the 12 out to preach. Now, I want you to think about this, because maybe this is one of those moments where you go, I I didn't think about it like that. They had not been running around telling everybody this. You know what they were telling him? Jesus said, when you go and preach, say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, if somebody were to ask, is Jesus the Christ? They knew that information, and I'm sure that they told people that. But that was not the content. It was not the, the, the theme of their message. The, the message was, get ready, everybody. God's about to bring across a big change. The kingdom is about to be established. Now, yes, that means the Messiah is here. The Messiah is going to bring that kingdom in. But before you're ready for the Messiah, you got to repent. So, disciples, go get them all ready. Tell them that a big change is coming. Jesus knows, gentlemen, if you go out and say that now, here's what's going to happen. The Jewish leaders are going to get wind of this, and they're going to say, wait a minute, this Jesus guy, he's trying to take over the nation. Let's kill him. And they would have sped up the plan of God. They would have tried to execute Jesus before the, the time that God had on his schedule. And if you start telling the public Jesus is the Messiah, they would do the opposite. They would speed up the plan by exalting Jesus to be the king. They tried to do that after the feeding of the 5,000. The multitude grabbed him trying to make him king. And he said, that's not time yet. We're not ready for that yet. Here's my point. The public is guessing. The apostles are concluding. Jesus is waiting. Jesus is waiting. Does he want people to know that he's the Christ? Yes, but there's a right time. There's a right time. Listen to this. God works on a schedule. Maybe you want to write that down. I've I've heard this now for over 20 years living in Africa. I I keep hearing this. Yeah, you and your schedules. Always check in your watch. Let me give you a verse. The Bible says in Galatians, Jesus was born in the fullness of time. When the fullness of time was come, he came, born of a woman. God has a schedule. 
Bible says, Jesus said, when he began to preach, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom is at hand. God has a schedule. Jesus would say to his mother and to other people, my time has not yet come. My hour is not yet come. Jesus works on a schedule. Does he want people to know that he's the Christ? Sure. But if you have not properly prepared your heart to receive that information, the seed is falling on stony ground. So we need to send some disciples out to say, repent, get ready, a big change is coming. And then when this wonderful revelation of who Jesus is comes your way, the seed falls into good ground. There's a a, a schedule, there's a program. God has a certain way of doing things. It is not up to us to tell Him to modify His schedule to match our preferences. Jesus is working on a schedule and He knows when the people will be ready for this information. The same is true of all of us. There are some things you've heard it, and you've heard it, and you've heard it, and it falls by the wayside. And then one day somebody shows up and bam, you hear it. It's the same truth you've been hearing for years, but immediately it means more. Why? Because you're ready for it. You're ready for it. Hold your place here and get Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Church, I think it's helpful if I tell you why I'm emphasizing this point the way that I am. We look around, not only at the world, but within our church. And we say, this person is, is sitting in the same service that I am. They heard the same thing that I've heard. Why are they not getting it? Why are they not applying it? Why is it not changing them the way it's changing me? Timing. Timing. Be patient with them. Jesus knows, guys, if you say it now, you're going to interrupt what God's trying to do. Just be patient. In due time, God is going to let the disciples run all over telling everybody that Jesus has died. But, but wait for it. Just wait for it. Wait for each other. We are all still growing. We are all still growing in our knowledge of Christ. And for some of you, this is the first time you have heard such a thing. For others of you, you've been hearing this for 11 years, others maybe 20, 30, 40 years. We're all at different stages. Jesus is waiting. He's patient. He will let us grow in time, giving us little by little what we need. Philippians chapter 3, look with me please at verse number 8. Paul said, Yea, doubtless, I, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. You mind if we read that again? I want to make sure that sinks in nice and deep. Yea, doubtless, and I count how many things? How many things? All things. He didn't say all sinful things. All, I'll do anything. I'll give up anything. I'll cancel anything. I'll drive anywhere. I'll be available anytime. I count all things but loss for the excellency of the what? Of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Anything that can help me learn about Him. Anything. Why? We want to grow in our knowledge. We want to be growing in knowing. He says here, For whom I have suffered... 
the laws of all things. And do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Anything for the prize. I, I, I've heard this recently even. Somebody was talking about getting saved and they said, I think I need to count the cost. And he starts listing off all the things he's going to have to give up. And I reminded him after, he, it was a long list. He's a successful guy. I said, you've listed off all the things you're giving up, but you forgot to list the thing that you're going to get. When you compare it to what you're going to win, a personal relationship with Christ that will never end and you grow in this knowledge and the deeper you go, the better it gets. It's hard to even call the other side of the list a sacrifice. Paul said, I do count them, but what? Dung. You know what dung's good for? Fertilizing. It's good for fertilizing. Makes things grow. You want to grow in your knowledge of Christ? You're going to have to give up some things. Little by little. And God knows. Listen, when Jesus showed up to the apostles and said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. He didn't drop this bomb on them, forsake all. That was later. Jesus said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. They forsook their nets, right? They forsook the boat. We learned that with Brother Welder here, right? He preached to you. Forsake the net, forsake the boat, forsake the dad. But then later on, as they grew in their knowledge, they, Lord, we had no idea that you were who you are. Depart from me, I'm a sinful man. And then they forsook all. They, Jesus knew now they're ready for this. Now they're ready for that. You see, when you start giving stuff up to know Christ better, when you start shifting your schedule around, when you start saying goodbye to friends and family, when you start giving up whatever behaviors, hobbies, whatever it is that's getting in the way of you knowing Christ, that is the dung that fertilizes the ground that helps you grow. Verse 9, Paul makes this statement, and be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law. If you want to enter into Christ, you don't get there by keeping the law and making yourself a good person. That's not how you get into Christ. But, he says, that which is through the faith of Christ. How do you achieve perfect righteousness? Jesus offers that as a gift. He says, I've died to wash away your sins. If you'll receive me as your Savior, the, the record is wiped clean and I will declare you righteous. I will justify you. He says at the end of verse 9, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Now watch verse 10. Verse 9, there's no full stop. Watch verse 10. That I, help me, may know him. Do you see that? That I may know him. Verse 9, I'll give up anything to be saved, even my own righteousness. I will not walk around bragging about how good I am. That won't save me. I'll give all that up so that I can be saved. And I want to know him. I don't want to be just saved. I want to know him. Watch what he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. You get, in order to get that power, you're going to have to go through a cross and go through a grave to get to that power. Paul says, I'm willing to do that. The power of his resurrection. Look at the next part. And the fellowship of his sufferings. You want to get to know him better? You want to grow in your knowledge? You've got to come to him and say, Lord, 
Whatever you need to put me through so that I can learn about you. I want to know you. Do you see why timing is important here? You don't go to a new believer and go, listen, (laughs) here's how it works. You're going to get saved and then everything's going to go horrible. (laughs) Your life's going to get turned upside down. It's going to be rotten. You, You don't drop that bomb on them. You can be honest with them, but let them learn one day at a time. You can tell them, listen, if hard times come, Jesus will get you through, but you can't expect them to enter into the Christian life with all the experience that you already have. They'll get there. Fellowship of his sufferings takes time. It takes experience. At the end of the verse, being made conformable unto his death. That's the purpose of walking with him is to conform to his image. Take your Bible, come back to Luke chapter 9. You know what Jesus said to his disciples right before he died? I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Jesus says, there's a lot more I'd like to teach you about myself, but you're not ready for it. Jesus is waiting. He's waiting for that right time. Don't be frustrated by that. Be patient. Stay the course. Luke chapter 9, in verse number 22, this brings us to our final point. He's told him not to say anything, and then further, he says in verse 22, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders, chief priests and scribes, and be slain and be raised the third day. So the public is guessing, the apostles are concluding, Jesus is waiting, and lastly, I want to say Christ is surprising. Christ is surprising. Have you ever watched a movie or read a book, and then you get to the end and you go, what? I didn't see that coming, right? For me, that's, that's the best kind of movie. That's the best kind of story. And I thought about giving you illustrations, but I, and then I'm just spoiling all those books or movies, so I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but we've all had those. I enjoy those stories. Jesus is that story. The longer you're in this, the more you read, the more you walk with Him, the more you do things with Him and for Him, the more you realize Jesus is much deeper than you ever imagined. There is so much more to him. The Jewish mind at this time, Jews did not think the Messiah would die. None of them believed that. They believed that the Messiah would show up, kill the Romans, conquer the Gentile enemies, and establish the Jewish kingdom on the earth. They saw the Messiah as a conquering king. Now Jesus is saying, guys, come here. You know I'm the Christ. The Father's shown you that. Good. Don't tell anyone because, listen, they're not ready for this. I have to die. Even the disciples at this point, you know how Peter reacted to this? In Matthew 16, he said, not so, Lord. He got in a theological debate with the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter, what were you thinking? (laughs) I mean, that's one of those foot-in-mouth moments, right? Peter is arguing with Jesus, I'm going to go die. No, you're not. Not on my watch, bless God. I'm going to... You know what Jesus said to him? Get thee behind me, Satan. Why? Jesus knows the long-term plan. Listen, I I have not come to establish that kingdom, not without the cross. I've got to go to the cross, but the disciples had no idea. That was a complete surprise even to the best of them. Peter fought it at first. You know what will happen? 
you grow up, you hear the stories about the Bible, you know Jesus, and somebody comes and says, here's something you may not have seen before. Oh, that can't be right. Oh, that can't. No, 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 no. That's not, listen, I've, I've been in church my whole life. I've never heard anything. No, calm down. Is it in the Bible? <laughs> Is it in the Bible? Is it there? Does it stand like that? Perhaps you just want to take your, your understanding of Jesus a little deeper. Open your mind and say, Lord, show me more. You know, Jesus said on one occasion, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And the public went, what? No, 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 no. Listen, man, you're, you're a man. No, no, no. You're not some ghost that came down. You're, you're just a man like the rest of us. You were born just like the rest of us. What's this bread from heaven stuff? And he says, listen, he, he, he moved further with that illustration. He said, listen, listen, if you want to have eternal life, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Yeah, just like the look on some of your face, like, what? He got their attention then. They thought, what is this guy saying? Now, all he was doing was giving them an illustration of how to have a relationship with the Father. He says, as I live of the Father, so that's how you're going to live of me. Jesus did not physically eat the Father. He's having communion with the Father. He is receiving, he is partaking with the Father. Jesus went on to say, the flesh can profit you nothing. It is the Spirit that gives life. The words that I speak into you, they are spirit and they are life. He, he said, I wasn't talking literally, I'm talking spiritually. You need to receive me. You know what the Bible says? In a strange place in the New Testament, John 6, 6, 6. Only time it happens in the New Testament. John chapter 6, verse number 66. It says, many of his disciples went away. You know why? Because up until this point, he was just a miracle-working prophet who could potentially overthrow the Roman government. And a lot of the disciples were on board with that because that's what they'd always known about the Messiah. And now Jesus takes him a step further and goes, oh, by the way, I don't have the same origin story like the rest of you. I came down from heaven. And you have to eat my flesh. What? And instead of sticking around to learn what that meant, a lot of them just left and never came back. You know what Jesus did right after that? He turned to his 12 and he said, will you also go away? You know what their answer was? To whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Guys, the answer today is Jesus might be trying to show you a little bit more. Are you also going to go away? Are you going to keep coming around going, Lord, I need to know more. There's more to you than I already know. Christ is surprising. Years ago, I, right after I got saved, I don't know, maybe you had a similar experience. After I got saved, I found a Christian bookshop as quickly as I could. What you guys would know as cum. You know, in America, I went to the mall. I found the Christian bookstore. I wanted to buy the place out. <laughs> and, I, and I did. I maxed out my credit card. <laughs> I bought everything you could imagine. About 90% of it was wrong. But I bought books and Bibles and posters and jewelry. And I, you know, I had a little leather, uh, not a chain, what would you call it? A necklace with a little cross made out of nails. And I, I went to work the next day with my little jewelry. And I thought I was so special. I... I think dork is the right word. I, I was a Christian dork is what I was. But I was just excited. But, but one thing I did get was a poster. And I kept that poster all through Bible school, and I even took it to Malawi. 
And I only gave it up when we left Malawi. It is now hanging in the office of one of my pastors there, Brother Ashbad. The name of the poster is, And He Shall Be Called. And then the poster goes on to list all these different names and titles given to Christ in the Bible. Christ is surprising. We know Him as the Lord Jesus Christ. That's perfectly knowledgeable to all of us, right? We know that. But let me give you just a sample list. Here's that poster. He is advocate. The Lamb of God. The resurrection and the life. The shepherd and bishop of our souls. He is the judge. He is the king of kings. The Lord of lords. He is a man of sorrows. He is the head of the church. He's the master. He's the faithful and true witness. He's the rock. He is our faithful high priest. He is the door. He is the living water. He is the bread of life. He is the rose of Sharon. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the true vine. He is the Messiah, the Christ. He is the teacher. He is the Holy One, the mediator, the beloved, the branch, carpenter, good shepherd, light of the world, image of the invisible God. He is the Word. He is the chief cornerstone. He is Savior. He is servant. He is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the Almighty. He is the everlasting Father. He is Shiloh. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the I Am. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the Bridegroom. He's the only begotten Son. He is wonderful. He is Counselor. He is the Mighty God. He is Emmanuel. He's the Son of Man. He's the Dayspring. He's the King of the Jews. He's the Prophet. He is the Redeemer. He is our Anchor. He is the Bright and Morning Star. He is the Way, the Truth, and the Life. And He is the Amen. When we talk about Jesus, there's a long list of things that you can study about Him. There's so much more, and I've just scratched the surface. By the time Jesus rose again, the Bible says the disciples did not even know. They didn't understand the Scripture even then that He would rise from the dead. They were just getting started. After He rose, He went into an upper room with them. You know what Jesus did? He says, sit down, boys. Let's, let's have Bible study. And beginning from Moses and through the Psalms and through all the prophets, he showed them things concerning himself. You know what they walked away with? Surprised. Amazed. They did not realize the depths of the person they had been walking with for all those years. And I think the same is true for all of us. We have yet to plumb the depths of our great Savior. Our goal today as we walk out the door, we want to keep growing in knowing Him. Let's all stand, if you would, please.
Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Heads bowed, eyes closed. The pianist will play softly and will not take long this morning. We have no service tonight. You guys are going to have a chance to rest. But this gives us a chance now to maybe take just an extra moment to meditate on what you've heard. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not a contest to see who, know, who can know Christ better. It's not a contest. We're all growing in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus knows at what point in your life you need to learn certain things about Him. For some of you, it would just overwhelm you to know everything all at once. Today. Bible says we are to seek His face continually. You know what that means? Get to know me better. That's what God's commanding. Get to know me better. To know God is more than all burnt offerings. Whom say men that I am? How would you answer that this morning? Now, now listen, if your answer is, I know that He is the Savior, it's not a bad answer. That's true. But, but here's the answer we're looking for. He is my Savior. That's a big difference. Is He your Savior? And that, that's great, but how about we go a step further? Is He your Master? That's another step. Perhaps today, if you've already been saved, you want to determine in your heart to count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Lord, I'll give up a business, sell my home. I'll stop chatting to certain friends. I'll change my hobbies. Lord, I'll do anything to know you better. Say, Brother Mike, is it that serious? More. More. I I, I know what I've just said sounds extreme. Jesus is worth it. He's worth it. I'm 26 and a half years into walking with Him. And I'm constantly, constantly taken aback as to how little I know about Him. I'm so impressed with Him. And that seems like a small way to to, to say it. This is why when we get to heaven, we say all glory and honor and blessing and power and praise be unto Him. There's just not enough words to put to Him. 
Father, we thank you for making yourself available to us by sending your Son, the Word made flesh, to dwell among us and declare God to us. Father, we, we don't want to take that lightly. We don't want to trust public opinion. We, we thank you for giving us your word about your Son. Lord, we, we desire this morning to know you deeper and better than ever before. And we're willing to wait. God, we understand it. We, well, let's say we, we're not ready for all of it all at once. God, we'll be here next week. Show us more. And the week after, and the week after. Continue to teach us, please. Thank you, Father, for spending some time with us this morning. Help us, Lord, to hang on to what we've heard. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Folks, thank you so much for being here. No service tonight. No Bible school on Wednesday. But Thursday night, we'll see you then. Thursday night.